episode 106, Scott Ballard, Confidence Coach, LLC. I think my favorite mistake uh, is, is this idea that um, being dyslectic is shameful. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For links, show notes, and more information about our guest, Scott Ballard, go to markgraven.com slash mistake106. Thanks for listening. Now here's the episode. Our guest today is Scott Ballard. He is a coach. He's a speaker. He's an author. Uh, his company is called Confidence Coach LLC. And Scott has been doing that after a career um, as an insurance broker. And he's based in uh, Portland, Oregon. So, uh, Scott, thank you for joining us. How are you today? We're good. We've got sunshine and uh, excited to be on the call with you today. Well, good. Well, I'm excited to hear um, what you'll have to share, and, and we'll have a good conversation um, based off of that. Um, Scott, what, you know, looking back and thinking about your career and your work and in your life, uh, you know, what, what is your biggest, not, ah, see, I almost made a mistake. What is your favorite mistake? My gosh, that's the name of the show. A lot of times people, <laughs> I'm going to leave that in there because, okay, I demonstrate almost every episode, not with that mistake, uh, but with something, we're all human. So with that, Scott, what is your favorite mistake? That, that seems appropriate for the show. So actually don't edit that out. <laughs> it's, not, I, I don't, it's not intentional. I don't have to make it intentional. Oh, okay. Yeah. So to answer your question, um, I think my favorite mistake uh, is, is this idea that um, – um, being dyslectic um, is shameful, is uh, uh, a disability. It's a problem. It's an obstacle. This started for me in first grade when the teacher sat me in the corner and said, you're stupid, you're a dunce, and you'll never be anything. Mm, um, and, you know, I made the mistake in that to believe a person of authority that really didn't have my best interest at mind, you know, uh, my future, especially a young child, you're so vulnerable. So I started to put that on, uh, Mark, like, like a coat, like every day school was um, shameful for me. It was a problem, was uh, not a healthy place for me to be. Uh, to the point of uh, considering suicide at seven, eight years of age. So, um, so yeah, that's where my mistake really um, began to fester at such a young age. A lot of people, it's not till their adult years, but it really got put on me at that point. And uh, yeah, so that that's where it started. And um, this works led me to to why it's now my favorite mistake was to believe a lie about dyslexia, about my identity, about who I am, 
what the value is that I bring to the world, uh, both business and personal. And now um, I get to talk about it. I get to be a champion about it. And I get to coach people around that. And that's huge. So how did you so how did you come then to realize that it was a mistake to frame dyslexia as being shameful or equating it with stupidity? Yeah, so it's ironic. So I'm in this grade school, and so my I did the first grade twice. So if, if you weren't already discouraged, if you didn't already feel terrible, all my friends went to second grade. And they said, you know, you didn't really get it. They didn't know what it was back then. You're just stupid. We're going to have you do this again. Well, it was 10 times worse, you know, because then you have all your buddies on the playground. It was just, it was terrible. But the ironic thing was, but when I got to sixth grade, which, which I got there, you know, it's a miracle, but I got to sixth grade. I had a new teacher. He was a first year teacher. His name was Mr. Bacala. And he, we walked in the first day of class and he said, I want you to take all the desk out of the classroom and sit on the floor. And I'm already starting to go into panic mode because I'm back at school after summer break. And I'm like, okay, now we've got somebody. I'm just starting to be able to do the basic like school thing just to survive through it. He gets rid of all the desk and he says, we're going to uh, take the classroom and education and we're going to turn it all into a business. Hmm. So, like, if you wanted a ball to play Foursquare or basketball at recess or football, somebody owned that and rented you the ball for that. Or if you wanted a snack at lunch or if you wanted copies for your paper or whatever. So we started the year, each one of us owned a business and then had a certain amount of money. And so the long story short, not to draw this out, but by the end of the year, I owned pretty much all the businesses and I had pretty much like almost all the money. And I, I had learned that I have a mind, my dyslectic mind actually has a gift to that is really valuable in business entrepreneurship, like seeing the future and seeing trends and, and understanding value and all of these things. So, so I started first grade in the worst possible scenario in the same little school in sixth grade, I had this life-changing transformation of, oh, maybe I'm not stupid and going to be a janitor my whole life. Maybe I could be like this business person. Yeah. Right? And so it was a light bulb moment. Now, did school get easier, Mark? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I, I don't learn in the way our education worked back then or it does today. It didn't get, but but that's when I I got this glimmer of hope, and I was like, okay, if I can just survive junior high and high school, mm-hmm. and get the heck out of this system, I I'm going to do this business thing. Yeah, and and so that's what I did. I played sports. I was really good at sports, so that got me. The coaches and the school just passed me on because they wanted me on the team because we were you know winning and all that. But I got out. And I still believed part of the lie because I got out and I tried three different colleges and just bombed out, you know, like, but I married this beautiful lady and, um, and she believed in me in a way that started to replace the disbelief or the belief or my identity that I'd had about myself being dyslectic. 
And so I went back to the sixth grade experience and I said, I'm going to start a business. Now, I had no education. I had no money. I had no background. I had no business um, uh, going into business or, or anything like that. But I did it and I kept trying. And we failed in our 20s, we failed like 10, 11 different businesses, lost all of our money, failed, whatever. And she would always say to me, she'd go, it's okay. What did we learn and what can we do better next time? And we're going to make it. You're, you're going you're gonna to figure this out. And so as that happened, we kept, we learned, and I learned as a dyslexic, this is one of the gifts that makes dyslexic so special is I learned how to fail really fast. Mm-hmm. And then take the lesson, right? Take the lesson, Mark, and then go, okay, how do I apply that to the next situation? And I wasn't daunted by failure because I had so many F's and failed tests in my, in my growing up years that seeing an F on a paper was like, okay, so that didn't work. So the next time I'll try something different. I'm not, you know, like, so you build up the strength, this resilience. This, you know, because being an entrepreneur, business owner is like, you've got to move quickly from failure to learning to the next breakthrough, this process. And and sometimes you have to do it, as you well know, three or four or five times a day. And then you have to take your team and you've got to show them and help them and coach them. How do you develop that resiliency? I mean, this last year of COVID has been an amazing year for me to see people get stopped, get stuck, get whatever. And then can they, do they know how to unstick themselves? Do they know how to move forward tomorrow? Well, well, here's the gift. I had been experiencing that since I was six years old. So I'm like, yeah, here, here's how we get this. Is, what do we learn? And then where are we going now? And then this is who I am. And I don't get stuck if it doesn't work. I I let it go. It's like my first grade teacher, Mrs. Matthews. I let her go. Even the second time, I let her go. And I went on. I was like, okay, well, I got to do this because, you know, the law and my parents say, you got to go to school. Okay. But that doesn't dictate my future, my best future. That doesn't dictate the result for my life and for the people I love and, and the customers I serve. It doesn't do that. And I don't give it that power. Well, it's it's great that you've learned that. And I mean, you say, you know, you talk about, um, you know, being resilient about failure and let's learn from it. Let's move on. That's what you are. That's what this podcast is. Yeah. Yeah. That's why when we talked the first time, I was like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> you know, this is, I mean, you, here's an interesting fact, uh, Mark, that you should know. One in five people listening to this right now have some form of dyslexia in the world. Mm-hmm. So we're we are and and I'm like the pioneer of this. We're the last people to come out of the closet. We there is no there's still no rights, there's still no awareness, there's still no value attached to being dyslexic. Um and yet there is so much value in what COVID and what it's going on right now has brought to light is oh my goodness. This actually is the lesson everybody in the world needs to learn. You know, take this problem, take the setback, take this this pivot, and then turn it into something perfect and beautiful, right? And so that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. 
So I, I want to, um, you know, we'll come back and, and talk about some of the lessons from the business failures, but I want to explore a little bit, you know, with dyslexia and, and learn a little bit more about this. You know, it, it, was there a certain point? I don't know the history of when this became better understood or when it even had that label dyslexia. Like, was there, do you remember what, was there a certain point where that diagnosis was made and you had a way of describing what you may have been struggling with in terms of reading or learning? Yeah. Yeah. I would say probably my early twenties, I went to a doctor in New York that had a daughter that was dyslexic that actually had done considerable research trying to figure out what this is. And, and that, that really helped me understand what was going on with it. And there's, there's 19 different forms or expressions of dyslexia. So for example, there's dysgraphia, which is the writing. So if you looked at my writing, you would go, if you look at my board, you'd go, what is that Chinese? You know, like, what is that? Well, that's dysgraphia uh, in my own form, right? So you can only imagine as a kid, or better yet, running a company like I did, and I am giving written instructions to somebody. Hello. It's not happening. It's not happening. So, so what, what, I, what I have found through the years is what are the tools, what are the things that allow my genius to come out but not get trapped in an old system? So I have Otter. So Otter is a recording transcription on AI thing. And, and, and I use it, I send messages and I write more content than pretty much everybody I know because now I've found a way to bypass the obstacle, which is the written hand, which, you know, I'm never going to be a great writer. You're never going to read a handwritten note from me and go, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you, yeah. Scott. That's beautiful. <laughs> You're going to be like, is this Chinese or what is this? And so the embarrassment comes this way, Mark. The embarrassment is people still today make comments of, oh, that's just like a dyslexic would do. I went right instead of left. Oh, I, oh, I must be dyslexic. I mean, the shame that our society has tolerated, the world around this is unlike anything. I mean, everybody now is respected, right? I mean, especially in the last year or two, I mean, all these, all this beautiful stuff has happened. And one in five people, over a billion people on the planet have this, and they're still proverbially in the closet. I refuse to tolerate that anymore. Right? I, I am on this show to tell you that we are here, we're proud, we're making a difference in the world. And actually, if you look around, the value creators, the impactors, the world changers, a large portion, Mark, not 1%. 20, 30, 40% of those people are dyslectic in some form. There are, um, there's, there's a phrase, um, is it neurodiversity that's been used in more recent years for people who are, you know, maybe to describe, um, you know, autistic spectrum or, you know, know, ways different people's brains uh, function. Um, Different doesn't mean bad or worse. I think people have come to embrace that some people have strengths on top of challenges. You know, I tell Mark all the time, you know, that there is a dark side to dyslexia. 
because there is absolutely. And then there is a side that is genius. Mm-hmm. And we have to decide which side we're going to feed. And that took me a long time. I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't. The beauty of that is now that I've had 61 years of working through this is I can sit down with a dyslectic or I can sit down with anybody that's struggling with their genius of who they are, their real life, their truth identity. And in an hour, I can reprogram that for them by getting rid of the lies and exchanging them for the truth. Okay. And so that's that's where we want to get about dyslexia. The truth is, in certain areas, I'm an absolute genius. In certain, like this verbal communication, me speaking, me writing, whatever, I'm a genius at this because I could never do the reports in school like you could. The handwritten reports, it was an F. But if she put me in front of the class and said, talk about the basketball game Friday night and the strategy and how you're going to win and, and whatever, the whole class is standing up cheering. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who can't do that. They're terrified to try. And Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so yeah, we're at, we're on a mission about this, Mark. I mean, that like, this is, thank you for having the guts. I mean, you know, a lot of people just say, well, it, it, you know, it doesn't really matter or those people are in a value or they, you know, we're so unseen in society. I don't have a dyslectic pen or a hat or a flag. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. What I have is a voice. Mm-hmm. And what my intention is for the rest of my days, my intention is to say, here we are. Mm-hmm. And in our own way, we're amazing. And we fit into contributing to making this world better every yeah. day. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, comments that people were making meetings. I admitted to you when we did a pre-call, I'll admit this publicly in the podcast. So I'm not proud of it. A mistake I have made is that flippant remark in a meeting. Somebody transposes a couple numbers on the whiteboard and, you know, it's easy to flippantly say something about a dyslexic moment and without thinking about somebody in the room who, who has a form of dyslexia, how that would feel. And, you know, I think part of the evolution that people are trying to make is to be better about putting ourselves in someone else's shoes, whether in whatever dimension of uh, difference um, that might be. So, um, you know, I, I, we try to learn, we, we get better. And you know, if people don't realize a comment like that is a mistake, you know, one of the themes of this podcast is learning from mistakes. If we don't know something is a mistake, right. We can't reflect on it. We can't learn. Are, are there times where you've had to sort of say, Hey, whoa, wait a minute. Um, if, if somebody has made a comment, not, not knowing okay. when you talk about, you know, being closeted about dyslexia, I'm sure you, you've, you know about this because you've experienced it. Right. Right. You know, I, I remember a meeting I was sitting in a, my last company. Um, I was sitting in a meeting with a, with a, a, an accountant and an attorney. Okay. So you're talking about two people that um, their whole way of thinking, their whole way of doing is based off traditional education. Right which is great. I mean, we need those people. We hired them. We paid them a lot of money to do what they do. And, and then having to really say to them or explain to them that that's, that's not the only thing. And in fact, the reason we're one of the top three companies in the country is because we actually now embrace the right side of the brain 
which is my superpower, coupled with the left side, which is your superpower, then we, now that this is why we're at the top. So when you start to criticize the other side or lessen the value or not appreciate the contribution, uh, you got a problem. Um, and so this was in front of uh, all the leaders in the organization. And I called these two gentlemen out and I said, that's not acceptable here. Now, this was 18 years ago, Mark. So like the room went dead silence. Now I'm the owner. So it's like, you don't like it. There's the door. It's, it was right. less risky to speak up. But. Right. Right. So yeah. I had that, that backup. I had that power, so to speak. Uh, it sounds bad to say, but I had the authority to speak into that. Um, now what's interesting about that, the attorney came back to me later uh, in time and we had a really valuable comp, uh, conversation around that. The accountant never did and never got over his own ego or his own only way of contributing. And we moved on to somebody else. Um, and, and, you know, that was a lesson for me on both sides. But I also knew that if I didn't say anything in my position, how is the guy down the street or the gal or the kid at the school or the university or whomever going to start to say, hey, you know what? There's something else here. Mm -hmm. And this is what it is. So, you know, thinking back to when you describe it being a mistake to not be open about your dyslexia. Do you, do you remember, was there a moment or was it more gradual where you just say, you know what, I, I, I this, is, this is who I am. I'm going to be proud of it and let people know. Yeah. You know, I, I say this and I'm not proud of it. It took a long time, Mark. Like, you know, 35, 40 years of age, we had at that point taken a company from our kitchen table and $100 and no experience in the industry to the top uh, three in the country. And I had not told a soul in my company, I had all these people working for me with MBAs and college degrees and all this, that I was dyslexic. Mm -hmm. Or that part of the reason why we were having so much success is I was actually be able to see the trends and and to do things that they couldn't do. Um, not proud of that, um, but started to then kind of come out of that whole thing and, and talk about it to people. Um, and where, where I found the best conversation in the beginning was our product that we sold was to small business and entrepreneurs. And what I found was I could identify another dyslectic with before they, they would never tell me, but I'd have somebody sign a contract and fill out a form and I would sense the hesitation or I'd see them struggling with it or they'd give it to their attorney or accountant or whatever. And I'd be like, and then afterwards, not in front of anybody else, I would always say, Hey Mark, are you, are you dyslexic? Cause, cause I am. And the person would, you know, also there'd be the fear and then there'd be, Oh, you are too. And then there was this bond and conversation. And I, and I think, you know, that really helped me. And in the business world, there's so many of us that have done so well because we can't, you know, to be a doctor for a dyslectic, the educational side of it, I mean, it, it happens, but it's really hard. It's not the way to go. So, so many of us end up in this creative entrepreneurial space. So I kind of found my tribe, weirdly, like by selling and serving them 
and then having these kind of meetups, these conversations. And, and I think that that helped. And, you know, and, and it, it was over time. And uh, now, I don't know, I coach dyslectic leaders and people. And I mean, it's, it's, it's so normal to me now. But I mean, it was a long journey. I'm 61. You know, I don't wish this on the six-year-old right now that's trying to do online school as a dyslectic. Mm. Well, one thing I was going to ask about school, um, I'd, I'd hope that teachers have become far more understanding about recognizing and not shaming a child the way you were, right? I hope. Do you know how this is well, going? Well, we have some really good news, and then we got some news that is shocking, okay? So let's start with the shocking news. So I live in a suburb of Portland. And the school district next to where I live um, until last year did not even recognize or acknowledge that dyslexia actually existed. Wow. Now, this is the second or third largest school district in our state. Okay, what in the heck is going on? These are educators. These are people teaching our kids and one in five of those kids in their classroom has some form of this. Okay, that's the bad news that we're still, and, and Oregon is known as a progressive state. So we're not like somewhere where, you know, they're in denial. I mean, we're supposed to be the, the leaders in this. So, so that's the bad news. The, the good news is, is that the resources and the outside support and um, tools are just booming. Like, um, it, it, it's just happening. Like, like my niece, uh, which has a daughter that is dyslectic, um, has learned over the last three years how to do this thing called the brain breakthrough, which is basically helping a dyslectic manage their dyslexia and taking a lot of the anxiety, stress, and the problems and, uh, and helping them with that. And it's amazing the results that have come from that. So there's there's so much more information that's positive that helps and can facilitate uh, a parent, a child, a teacher, an administrator uh, from that standpoint that did not exist in the 60s, Mark. Sure. I mean, you know, people would look at me. They, they hooked me up, put probes on my head as a seven-year-old to do a brain scan to, to see whether or not I had a brain, basically. I mean, it was crazy. So, um, but you know, you, you talked, um, Scott. Maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, failing fast. I mean, that has become a buzzword in Silicon Valley, and hmm. you know, methodologies like lean startup. You know, um, fail, fail fast, but learn from it. Um, my professional background, um, you know, based around what we call, um, you know, the lean manufacturing and related methodologies lessons from Toyota people that I've learned from, they talk about fail small so you mm. can avoid big failures because there are cycles of learning involved. And I appreciate you sharing that and making those connections. But, um, you know, with Confidence Coach LLC, um, can you talk a little bit as you have built, you know, started and built and grown this business, can you think of some examples where you failed fast and learned from it in, in a way that's helped you grow and survive and succeed? Yeah. So the first thing that comes to my mind, which may sound strange, is, is that not everybody is 
my ideal coaching client. Okay. Uh, for one, if you can't be transparent and honest about your failures, I, I can't help you. Mm. Okay. So, so that, that became apparent at the beginning <laughs> as I was coaching people. It was like, okay, are you coachable or not? Right. And so I had to learn that really quickly uh, from that standpoint, because I had had so much success in my last company that people would come to me and yet they were not coachable. Right. And so, so yeah, so you have to continue to do that. In fact, um, my wife, which is the owner of our company, she, she says to me all the time, she goes, you're changing things all the time. You've had five new ideas today. <laughs> and I said, I've had five new ideas today because we have five new problems that I've identified. And so we get comfortable in that cycle is really important, right? And so it really starts with what am I believing about myself and about the work or the business I'm building, right? And if I'm believing a lie, Mark, like I'm dyslectic, so therefore I'm stupid, I can never be a millionaire. Okay, there's a problem there and there is in an opportunity if I will go, okay, what is the truth really? The truth is the evidence would say, and I could list you off 100 people, it actually might be the most important value if you're going to be successful in business in the world today. Mm -hmm. But if you've believed that lie until we reprogram and exchange it for the truth, then we're stuck. Yeah. So we're constantly working and I'm constantly working and thinking, okay, is that a lie or a problem that I believe that isn't true? Mm. It's a great question. Right. And so, so then there, then we can work. Then I can have a really <laughs> uh, great conversation. I can ask you some incredibly impactful questions to make you wrestle with that and then make you go, okay, you've got to make a decision mark right now, whether you're going to continue living into that lie and get that result, or you're going to change, you're going to exchange it for a truth that's going to get you the future you want. Yeah. Right. And so what I found in this, which is interesting, is this just isn't for dyslexics. What I found is guys that are MBAs, people that are attorneys, people that are CEOs of a Fortune 100 company have the same struggle. Mm -hmm. they, they, they think about it differently. They look at it differently. But, but I, I, I asked them a series of questions and I said, what do you believe about your leadership in this Fortune 100 company? What, what do you truly believe? Just between you and me confidentially. And then you hear these lies come out. Like, I'm not worthy. I feel I'm alone. Um, nobody understands where I'm at. Um, if anybody understood how little I knew about running this organization of 100,000 employees, they, they would get rid of me tomorrow. All, this happens with world-changing leaders. And I'm like, okay, here we are. I am so thankful that I was made dyslectic to learn these kind of truths, to be able to sit down with a person like this and go, you and me, we both have a genius. We both have a lie and a truth. And what are we going to do with it? And what is our choice and decision today in this moment? All we have is today. Tomorrow never comes. 
I wrote a whole series of articles on it. Tomorrow never comes. What we have is today. And so we have to choose now. Am I choosing the lie or am I choosing the truth? And I, and I can't live in the middle of the exchange. I had a client the other day say, I just want to be in the middle. And I'm like, there's no such a place. There's no such a place. Uh, the, the middle might seem safe, but it's not really. No, no. The okay. middle is believing the lie. Yeah. So that's not good. Yeah. You're neutral. You're, it, so you are stuck. And when you tell this to somebody that's been, everybody in their lives tell them how great they are and they've got it all together, whatever. And you tell them this for the first time, there's, there's anger, there's, there's this. And then most of the time there's tears in their emotion going, oh, you understand. It's insight. It's breakthrough. And then something amazing can happen. Wow. Um, Scott, one, one final question kind of related to your work, um, confidence coach LLC. You, you said you mentioned coaching dyslexic leaders. Is it one in five of your clients who are dyslexic because that's what occurs? Is it two in five because entrepreneurs maybe uh, have more prevalence of d- dyslexia or um yeah, the answer is yes. I mean, I mean, it changes all the time, but I, I, we don't filter for that anymore because what I realized, you know, uh, and this was with a, a huge global leader in the business world. What I realized was the guy is so smart, book smart. It's scary, like unbelievably book smart. But he had over the years continued to believe and live into a lie to the point of he was losing it. And so I do, we don't discriminate. We don't want to be discriminated against, Mark. And I don't want to discriminate. What I want people to do is to be to be the best version of themselves today. Because that's going to be the best future for all of us tomorrow. And so that's what that's what we go about working and creating on a daily basis. And we haven't worked in 13 years doing this because this does not feel like work because this, <laughs> right. this is my gift to the world. Uh, so I get to do this. So I'm hoping this is just the beginning of, of a 40 year run. And that that's what I'm after, you know. Well, that's great. That's great. So, Scott, if uh, again, our guest has been Scott Ballard. Um, Confidence Coach LLC. If people want to learn more about your work or connect with you or be coached by you, uh, where where can they find you online? Yeah, uh, www.confidencecoach.org. And you can just uh, hit the button there, find a time, uh, you know, a free conversation. We do that for everybody to begin with. And love to talk to you. And, and, you know, if nothing else, encourage you, whether you're dyslectic or you're not dyslectic, we're all humans and we're all in this together. And, you know, we want the best for you. You know, one of the phrases in our company is we provide unlimited encouragement to people, no matter where they're at, where they've been or what they've done. Mm-hmm. Like we believe, like I, I tell clients all the time, I believe in you. When everybody else walks out of the room, I'm going to walk in and say, I believe, Mark, that you can do what you set your mind to do. Well, that's great. That's that's. Thank you. Know, that's great to hear. And um, we'll just end on that really positive, uplifting reminder from you, Scott. So thank you so much uh, for being here and, and for sharing you know, your story and um, what you've learned and um, you know, for kind of reemphasizing the idea you know, personally and with different businesses. You know, we've got to learn from mistakes. Let's keep moving forward. So thank you. Thank you for that. 
Thanks, Mark. Again, for links, show notes, and more, you can go to markgraven.com slash mistake106. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.